Come on up here. I made room for you. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. I would invite you to follow along on the screen or open your Bible or listen to the Word. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except for to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Thanks, guys. Well, we're in the season of Olympics. Anybody had a chance to watch any on the TV? My wife raised both her hands, I noticed. I, uh, I, like, I like the Summer Olympics, but I prefer the Winter Olympics. I think they're more my people. You know, I am much more comfortable riding a bobsled down the hill than I am jumping over something or running a marathon. You know what I mean? These are, these are my people. There's, there's one, that one event, though, in the Olympics, the biathlon. I think it's the strangest event in all of, of Winter Olympics. Yesterday, my daughter, Lindy, um, turned to her mom as they were watching it and said, I just, I just don't get it. What's the point of skiing with a gun? And I heard the story and I thought, well, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't ski with a gun? I mean, these are my people, right? I mean, this is a North Idaho kind of event. There's something about the Olympics that tends to bring us closer as a global community. There is, there is something about the Olympic flame that shines into the dark corners of global and international relations. There is something that reminds us, no matter what country we come from, no matter what flag we fly, no matter what the color of our skin or the sound of our dialect, that we are all God's children. If you want to understand why we do what we do, the ministries that we do, why we would do something like Upward. Consider the scripture lesson of the day. Jesus talks about a light that is even greater than the Olympic flame. Jesus says to his followers, you are the light of the world. Can you imagine that? This, this motley crew of farmers and, and fishermen and tax collectors and housewives who, who live in a tiny little remote village in an obscure part of the world, Jesus says to them, you are the light of the world. Talk about a faith statement. It goes even further than that. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy to think about. It sounds even absurd to those that were listening. Only Jesus knew just how much this motley crew would end up changing the world. You are the light of the world. That's kind of crazy talk. But do you know something that's even crazier than that? You are the light of the world. Jesus says to us this morning, we are are the light of the world. You think about that for a moment. You let that sink in and chew on that for a moment. You're the light of the world. What does that mean? If we're going to be the light of the world, it ought to, it ought to mean something to us. It ought to change. It ought to impact how we live our lives and the decisions we make and, and the things that we do. I, I think it does, and we don't have time for all of them, but I want to look at three reasons, three ways I think it impacts us if we truly are the light of the world in how we live. The first is that if we're the light of the world, we have a responsibility for the world. 
That makes sense, doesn't it? If we're the light, we have a responsibility to use it. A lighthouse steers ships away from the rocks. A light bulb fills the room. Light does not exist for its own glory, but to brighten up the world. That's the first thing Jesus, I think, is saying. If you're the light of the world, it carries with it some responsibility for the world. He was a young man. He was, had been left blind in both eyes by a childhood accident in the 19th century France. A young man who is blind in the 19th century has very little hope. But then a kind priest came along, Father Jacques Poulet. He took an interest in the boy. He found this boy to have great intelligence and a, and a boy who, who was eager to learn. And with his parents' permission, the father enrolled the boy in the Royal Institute of the Blind in Paris. Pushed into this environment, it was scary at first. It was overwhelming, but he, he got over the loneliness and the depression and over time found friendship and encouragement. Unfortunately, he was, um, he was frustrated by the Institute's books of raised print. He found the symbols difficult to use and difficult to understand. And so he set out at age 12 to invent his own system of raised letters so that he might be able to read them. By the time he was 15, just three years later, he had perfected this alphabet. But he, as he went out and talked to people about it, he was met time and time again with people who said, um, no, you're, you're way too young. You're way too young to have come up with an alphabet for the blind. Years passed. He became older. He became a teacher at this very school and an accomplished organist as well. He continued to push and try to find a place for this method that he thought could help people. It wasn't until he was on his deathbed from tuberculosis that he heard the first steps were being taken to popularize his system. Though he did not live to witness it, Louis Braille, his alphabet, became the universal method for reading for the blind. His courage and his hunger for knowledge triumphed over his disability and gave a future to new generations. Louis Braille became a light for people whose physical eyes had failed them. How awesome it is when we, when we hear of a young person who says, I'm going to go out and change the world. I'm going to go out and make a difference. I'm going to make a difference in the place that, that I'm called to be at. And, and, and most of us in this room are old enough to, to remember that, that across this nation there used to be a place where from pulpits where we challenged young people to go out and make a difference, where we challenged people to go out and, and be missionaries to their community or around the globe or, or to live a sacrificial life that said, I'm going to live a life that is bigger than my life. And I'm afraid we don't do as good a job of, of believing in young people to change the world as we used to and calling them to be people who live for something bigger than themselves. We are the light of the world. And if we're the light of the world, then we have a responsibility with that light. We also have something that the world desperately needs. That, the second thing is, is that Jesus says if you're the light of the world, then, then you have to be something that, a light that shines in places that are dark. You have to be something that, that makes a difference where you are. Mother Teresa was famous for, for the incredible ministry and work that she did. And, and people would come from all over the world and they would interview her and talk with her about, what are you doing? What are you doing that makes such a difference where you're at? And she would give them tours and things. And, and one particular time, there was a group of, of North American uh, religious orders, of religious sisters who had come from various orders in North America to come to get the tour. And the tour was over and, and Mother Teresa said, does anyone have a question? And the lady in the front raises her hand. She says, well, I have a question. Um, as you know, most of the orders that we come from are represented by a diminishing crowd. We're losing people over and over again. 
But it seems that you have thousands of people who continue to sign up to be a part of your ministry. What, what are you doing? And without hesitation, Mother Teresa answered, I give them Jesus. Well, yes, I know, said the woman, but, but the habits, for example. Do, do your women, do they object to wearing the habits? Do they object to the rules of order? And she said, I, I give them Jesus. Well, yes, I know, Mother, I, I understand that, but I'm, I'm looking for you to be a little more specific. I give them Jesus. Mother, said the woman, I, we have great respect for your ministry here. You do fine work. I, I'm just trying to, to know something, something else. And Mother Teresa looked at her and said, I give them Jesus. There is nothing else. What do we have that the world can't find anywhere else? I'll just be honest, we, we don't have the flashiest lights. We certainly don't have the best preacher. Uh, we don't have the best competitive basketball league in the nation. All we have is Jesus. And that is more than enough. We are often reminded that we live in a pluralistic world. Today, persons of many religious backgrounds are, are calling our country home and and we can learn things from our neighbors. But if some would ask you, what is the distinctive of Christianity? Sometimes we want to, we want to answer that in, in all kinds of long and theological ways. But, but could you answer with just a very simple thing? Could you just give them Jesus? Today there is this thought that all religions lead to the same place or all are the same. But certainly there is probably good things that can come out of all different Faith. But what you can't find is the story of the prodigal son. You can't find the good Samaritan. You can't find the rich young ruler. You can't find anyone who holds us to a higher calling than Jesus. Christianity is, is not always the most shiny and the most appealing institution. But if you understand the life and teachings of Jesus, it is the, it is the, the way, it is the faith that calls us, it calls us to a mission to share this light with all those that we see. We have a responsibility for the world. We have what you cannot find anywhere else. Leads us to the third thing, very briefly. We are not the light. We are not the source of the light. We are a reflection of the light. There is one who has touched our lives, and because he has touched our lives, he's given us the power and authority to make a difference in the lives that are around us. It's been a number of years ago. Maybe you remember I told you about a, a study that was done quite a few years ago. A sociology class. A professor um, pulled together a, uh, his class and wanted to do a, a term project. And they went into the inner city of Baltimore. Not just into the inner city, but one of the worst neighborhoods of Baltimore. And they began to interview 200 different boys, taking their history, looking at their life, writing up a, all kinds of a sociological document on each one. And at the end, they were asked to assess what their future looked like. And and the end looked like just about the same in every kid. It said something like, he hasn't got a chance. 25 years later, another sociology professor heard of the study, wanted to revisit it. And so he began to contact those that their class, began to look for those 200 boys. They were only able to find 180. 20 of them had either died or, or moved away. 176 of the 180 was found that they had incredible, successful lives. Some of them were doctors and nurses and lawyers and professionals 
family people that were making a difference in their community. This blew the professor away. This is not at all what they expected the study to show. So they began to dig in and figure out what, what caused that. What, what's the anomaly here? What's taking place? They began to interview them, and, and they would interview these, these boys, the 176 of them, and they all had a separate story. It was all different. They all had different stories uh, about their life and about places they've gone, but they all had one thing in common. They all said, there was this teacher. There was this teacher. So they said, we've got to find the teacher. So they went out looking for the teacher, and she was elderly, and, and she was still of sound mind, and they came and said, could we interview you? We want to ask you this question. What kind of magic potion did you have to pour out on these 176 kids? What did you do that helped them? Kids that nobody thought were going anywhere. Kids that, that society would have thought they had just thrown away. What did you do to make a difference for them? And with her little old smile, she said, it's really quite simple. I just loved those boys. No wonder they succeeded. They had somebody who loved them and somebody who was rooting for them, somebody who poured their life in them, invested in them. Why do we do the things that we do? Why would we do something called upward? Because we want to pour our lives into people who come behind us. We are the generation who gets to decide, do we pass a torch and does it matter what we pass? Why do we do the things we do? We're reminded of another teacher who loved his students who saw possibilities in them that no one else saw, saw possibilities in them that they didn't see themselves. And he said to them, you are the light of the world. And so they became the light of the world. And that light shines today in every corner of the globe. In some places it is, it is bright. In some places it is faint because of fear, fierce persecution. In some places, because of the weaknesses of followers, the fire is uncertain and tentative, but it still glows. And it is now the possession of us, you and me. We have become and are the keepers of the flame. We are the people who decide, will we pass this torch? We are the light of the world. Three teenage boys living in a little town in the Pacific Northwest decided to do what three teenage boys do, get in trouble, and... Um, the slow-moving freight train a number of years ago was coming through their town, and they decided to jump on. Wouldn't it be fun to jump on the train, ride the train a little bit, and then kind of get to the other side of town and, and jump off? Well, before they got to the other side of town, something happened they weren't expecting. The engineer threw a bunch of coal in the fire, and the train began to pick up speed. And it went faster and faster until the point the boys realized, um, we're not going to get off this train. And it began to pick up speed. They think maybe 40 miles an hour. I don't know what it would be running. That was their estimate. But, but it, now they had left their town. Now it was dark. Now it was getting cold. It had been about a half an hour, and they knew they were in trouble. The train slowed down just a little bit as it turned a corner and went up a hill. They thought this is the time to make a break for it. And in great Butch Cassidy fashion, they, they got on the, on the boxcar next to the door they were riding, and they jumped. They bailed out, and they tumbled, and they rolled, unfortunately, into some blackberry bushes as well. They were okay, they were bruised, they were tired, they were cold, they were lost, they were scared. They began to walk, and after a, after a time, they, they saw what was just this little faint light. 
They began to walk towards it, and as they walked closer to it, it got brighter and brighter, and they figured out that it was a, it was a little town, and they, they continued, these humiliated joyriders, walking through the woods, traveling along, following the light, until finally the light was so intense from the city, this little town, it lit their path. They went to a little diner on the outside of town and called their parents. I'm sure that was an interesting conversation. These friends got home safely because they saw a light in the distance and they walked towards it. And it became an overwhelming beacon that eventually led them home. I don't believe that I'm being overdramatic when I say that there are people in this world that are lost in darkness and they are looking for a light, any light, to lead them in spiritual, emotional, and mental safety. So it's one thing to, to hear the words of Jesus. It's one thing to read those. But if we don't really begin to dig in, unless we ask ourselves the question, what does that mean for us in 2014, in February, in this place? I think it very simply just means that we need to ask ourselves the question. How's your light? How's your light? We, we all have light. Some of us are brighter than others. Some of us are dimmer than others. Nothing personal. Um... But how's our light? Could somebody find their way home by the light that you live? Could somebody who is, who is hungering in the midst of a cold, dark place, could they find their way by looking at the light that you live? We have a responsibility for the world. We have what the world desperately needs. We are not the source of the light. We are merely reflectors of the light of Christ that lives within us. There's a song that we used to sing as kids. I don't, it's been a long time since we sang it. If you know it, sing it with me. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. You know, I don't know that that's our problem. I don't know that our problem is that we don't let our light shine. In fact, I, I'd say that, that most of us in this room are people who have discovered that light, who have walked through the darkness, who have, who have found the light. Most of us in this room are, are people who reflect the light of Christ. Our, our problem is that too often the places in which we reflect it are places that are already lit to people who have already discovered the light. See, in that, in that little simple children's song, I think becomes one of the greatest call uh, of a follower of Jesus Christ. Very simple words, and yet I think they are the words that become the mission of our life. If, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, they become the mission of our life. Hide it under a bushel, no. I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no. I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Father, we we come to you this morning being reminded. You're the God who loves so greatly. You sent your Son that we might know life, that we might have the light in the darkness that would lead us home.
And we want to be a people who, who take seriously that, those words of Jesus. We are the light of the world. We want to reflect you into the dark places. And, and yet, God, forgive us for the times that we only light the light on Sunday morning or we only light the light with a group of people who have already discovered their way home. God, help us to be people who purposely walk into the dark places. Help us be people who, who love in spite of circumstance. Help us to be people who, who draw so close to you that no matter where we go, we look more like you and less like us. Help us to be people who answer that call, not just to find our own way home, but invest, and whether it's the kids of our community or our neighbors or people around the globe, invest in people until all your children find their way home. God, give us some dark places this week to live your love more clearly and more brightly than we ever have. In Jesus' name, amen. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Do not forget, you are the light of the world. God bless you as you go.